All right. This is InfoSec Decoded number 41, Print Nightmare. And we're starting with Caitlin, who has Microsoft signing a rootkit. Yes. Okay. What's going on here? Ars Technica has an article uh, by, Dad, by Dan Gooden, I believe. Is, Dan Gooden, is... great. He actually took some of my classes years ago. Uh, oh, oh, excellent. I'm, I'm glad that some of my... Um, uh, uh, so my articles, you know, circle back in some way to us. Okay, awesome. So, so yeah, Dan wrote an article uh, for Ars Technica uh, talking about how Microsoft digitally signed a rootkit. <laughs> like, no one knows how this happened. Uh, so uh, there's this rootkit being uh, thrown around. And what it does is it eavesdrops, it eavesdrops on SSL connections. So basically when you connect over the internet, to a secure website, like it's HTTPS, it uses a, an encryption. Um, in this case, we'll, we'll just call it SSL, right? Uh, even though no, nowadays it's TLS, it, we're just keep calling it SSL. So it, it has these secure connections over the internet. And what this rootkit does is it uh, decrypts them um, and, and eavesdrops on people's secure communications. And no one knows how this happened. Uh, Microsoft wrote, uh, you know, Microsoft is investigating a malicious actor uh, distributing malicious drivers within gaming environments. The actor submitted drivers for certification through the Windows Hardware Compatibility Program. The drivers were built by a third party. We have suspected the account. Oh, sorry. We have suspended the account and reviewed their submissions for additional signs of malware. So basically, Microsoft's like, well, we don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I it took me like six months to get a code signing certificate, and it's the same thing. You have to kind of convince them that you're okay. And if you're sort of sleazy and, and suspicious looking like me, it takes a while, but it's really just a matter of social engineering, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know why people would think getting the driver signed would be more difficult than getting malware on the Google Play Store. or oh, the more difficult than that. I mean, not not necessarily. I mean, as long as you can convince Microsoft you're not distributing malware for some reason, they're not going to know that your completely new binary is malware. Well, yeah, but I mean, Google doesn't hardly screen the Play Store at all. I think it's comparable to getting malware in the Apple Play Store. Which, but that's not hard either. Well, it's a little harder, but you're right. It's not that hard. None of it's that hard. It's really the same as like sneaking into a party you haven't been invited to. Yeah, I mean, if they, if you do, if there are no IOCs, known IOCs, you, you develop this malware from scratch. Yeah, you can just throw it anywhere. No one's going to know what to look for, um, especially if if you're clever. Um, and and maybe I shouldn't go into details about how to do this, but yeah. Well, the main part though, I think, is Apple tries to make sure who you really are, and after they catch you, you're banned. So that's a punishment. Right, and I'm I'm sure Google would try to ban. Well, Google too. I didn't put it in the news articles, but Google's just changing their system to be much more closely resemble Apple. Starting, I think, in August, all Google Play apps are also going to have to be signed by Google, and the keys, private keys, will be controlled by Google. So they're imitating the Apple Store, which I think is probably a big step forward. Anyway, um, all right, then we got Urban with Windows 11. Speaking of, uh, Microsoft is finally uh, firing back at Apple in a new way. Uh, so you know how with Apple, all their products intermingle together in one nice walled garden ecosystem? Well, Microsoft is trying to do the same thing yeah. with Windows 11 and every device that can run anything Windows related, with including the thing that we just mentioned of getting Android apps to work in Windows natively. 
They're they're trying to sway people back to Windows. Of course, the problem is Google controls the Android Play Store, so they seem to have like you know made a poor plan here, where part of their business plan relies on relies on enemy cooperation. Yes, that's exactly well. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is very much like the Democrats that want to make everything bipartisan, and Republicans are oh thanks, gee, so I'm still in charge, right? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. I know because I heard the, the, the article I read about the Google Play Store is that after they make this change, this stuff will not be able to run on Windows 11 anymore. <laughs> so I, I tried, I immediately tried to get my Windows 11 to play Android apps and I couldn't do it. They haven't got that working yet. And it looks like that's going to be harder than they think. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, we'll see how it all goes. That would be perhaps the killer app to make you buy Windows 11, I guess, that it really interoperates with Android better. Other than that, I don't see any reason to get it. Exactly. Anyway, so Sajib is a guest here. Welcome, Sajib. And you've got something about Xboxes. Yeah, so uh, recently we've been uh, getting this kind of like weird thing where this... Uh, so back in 2017, this uh, new uh, person, uh, his first day on the job in Microsoft in Redmond, Washington. Uh, his name is like Volodymyr, but I don't know how to pronounce that, but... Uh, he just goes by Vova for short, but, um, yeah, so he, he got a gift card for Christmas one day along with, like, 300 others, and they got, like, $300 or something. Um, yeah, so he eventually found a way, a simple bug, how to actually, um, uh, I really don't know how to, like, explain it, but it's basically he can, like, redeem a lot of codes all at once so he can get more money and basically more discounts um so i uh yeah so basically i believe microsoft was um kind of like under his like kind of like attack uh radius so uh clearly we don't know like what actually happened but later um in like 2019 there's uh investigators that came into his newly acquired home uh, he was searched because there has been some reporting of some codes being leaked and they were able to basically grab the identification of him so he was basically on constant watch for basically up to, up until now yeah yeah so he was an engineer and just figured out how to game the system from the inside to sell the gift cards yeah stole 10 million bucks i think the part yeah. i didn't quite get is he's now apparently being extradited to some other nation i'm not sure from where so I don't know where he is or whether he's actually going to end up in prison or not. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, makes sense. Microsoft caught him stealing as an insider. And Alan's got these Google scorecards. What do you think of them? Well, Google scorecards seems like an awfully good idea. And this is actually the second iteration. This is version two. And this addresses a, the supply chain attacks uh, that a lot of uh, software depends on various open source projects, um, open source dependencies. And these open source projects, sometimes they are well-run, well-maintained and well-coded and relatively secure. And sometimes they really aren't at all because most open source projects are run by volunteers who have real jobs and can only do so much. And yet they're still oftentimes foundational pieces of other more complex projects. So what this uh, Google project does, scorecard project, 
attempts to address is look at the security of these, um, these dependencies and, and uh, allows them to better analyze the, uh, these projects for any kinds of vulnerabilities. And it's rather complete. I've not tried using this myself, but um, it uh, does a number of things such as uh, identifying malicious contributors, uh, analyzing the code itself, uh, looking at various bad dependencies. So it seems to be very comp complete actually. And it's uh, already been used to identify or rather evaluate over 50,000 open source projects. Um, yeah, they, ought to, they ought to run it on the Google Play Store. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true, like but to... it's a good start. You know, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a really good start. And uh, it's not just a, a, a simple fuzzer. Um, not that fuzzers are simple themselves, but you know, this, this is a very complex, very complex undertaking. Um, and it's not like this one tool will address all the shortcomings of the system, but um, at least it, it does aid in improving the security of these, uh, these open source projects out there. Yeah, I've been hearing about this for 10 years, Mudge, with his uh, cyber UL listing. There should be some mark on a product you buy telling you whether it meets a certain minimum standard. So we'll see how well it goes. Yeah. What I notice is you just have to run some command line tool on the things one by one to get the score. Right. So they're not like sticking it on the box where you can clearly find it. Yeah. And even for the end user who doesn't bother to use this tool, um, one thing that they're talking about doing is uh, adding badges. Yeah. Scorecard badges. So this is something that open source projects can display on their GitHub. Yeah. Uh, that they've got the badge and that they are scorecard approved. See, that would be a lot better. I'd like to see it like Dolphin Safe Tuna, where an average consumer can see that this meets a certain standard. Right. That would be much more effective, I think. And then, of course, you could argue that the tests are really cursory, but you know, you got to have something because so many right. of them have ridiculous problems like unchangeable default passwords or something stupid like that. Yes. Anyway, all right. And then, all right, I've got so Trump. The team Trump has made yet another social network. Um, this one is called Getter. And this one is amazingly ripping off Twitter. So much they say you can log in with your, you can tell it to bring in your Twitter contacts and it will make duplicates of all your Twitter contacts and accounts on there that appear to be following you. Although they won't be actually populated with real people. And of course, all the suggested topics are far right wing stuff. And people said, as soon as you join, you look at the trending topics and like two of the five are basically kill the n-word to get rid of black people because who else would be on this platform except the raving uh, mega racists and uh, then so it, it scrapes a bunch of data right out of twitter you can import all your tweets into it so it's just like twitter and um, they already have a content moderation crisis of course not only did they find all sorts of ridiculous security flaws like uh, default like hard-coded passwords are in the source code um, they also found um everybody immediately started attacking it. There's a, have the content moderation policy, which is just what they claim not to have, which is just copied from Twitter, essentially. And all kinds of people begun spamming it with stuff to be offensive. Um, again, those pictures of K-pop stars <laughs> and other more offensive things. And they're now trying to decide how to clean out the offensive stuff. So it seems to be going down in flames already. And one big clue is Donald Trump didn't join. They made an account for him but he didn't join yet because I think he's been burned enough times on this stuff. He's waiting to see if this is actually going to work. And apparently it is not going to work. It's going down in flames already. But anyway, 
uh, they're trying to make that much advertised uh, right-wing social network that Trump promised to replace Twitter and Facebook that banned him. And they're finding again, that it's not so easy to just make a social network. You can't just, you know, clone somebody else's code and turn it on. Doesn't work that well. Anyway, so then we got uh, Liz. Oh, she's not here. So we'll go on to Caitlin NSA with the brute force cyber campaign. Yeah, I saw right. that. Well, what's interesting here. Okay, so let's, let's back up. So the, um, yeah, the NSA has an article mm-hmm. talking about a brute force global cyber campaign, yes. But what's interesting is that sometimes they'll say, we're seeing um, brute force attacks or these attacks coming from such and such a country or such and such APT groups. They're saying right now, it's the, it's the GRU, it's the GRU that's doing these, doing these attacks. Um, <laughs> so this is not like, and, and they're pretending like, so oh, oh, apparently the way that a lot of these uh, government groups do their attacks is they try to blend in with the other, you know, uh, criminal hackers, you know, pretending, oh, no, no, we're, we're just uh, doing the brute forcing to try to get money like, like the other criminals, you know, we're not, we're not group, but apparently the NSA knows that this is uh, the, the Russian government uh, targeting the United States mostly. Um, and they're using not like super sophisticated zero day attacks that like no one knows about. They're, brute forcing passwords and usernames, <laughs> which is totally like Russian, like <laughs> A plus, exactly what I expect from the GRU. Um, and yeah, let's see. So there's a, um, uh, yeah. So the yeah, malicious actors, this is the article uh, in quotes, malicious uh, cyber actors are uh, use brute force techniques to discover valid credentials, often through extensive login attempts. Uh, sometimes with uh, le- previously leaked usernames and passwords. So they're, you know, password spraying and using password reuse. Um, and then there's something about what they're targeting in the article. Right. Okay. So right, here we go. So the article says, and I quote, targets have been global, but primarily focused in the United States and Europe. Targets include government and military uh, defense contractors, energy companies, higher education, Sam. So City College might be <laughs> targeted by the GRU. Um, and uh, let's see, logistics companies, law firms, media companies, political consultants, political parties, and think tanks. So they're they're the only difference from you know the standard cyber criminals we see is the fact that they're really not targeting things like banks or just companies in general trying to get money out of them. They're really targeting political organizations or or higher education for some reason because I don't know. Yeah, I think the only news article, the only newsworthy thing is that the NSA is announcing this. I mean, everybody already knew that everybody was doing this kind of attack anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, it was already assumed to be true, um, oh, but I now mean, the NSA is saying, "Hey, no, this is the GRU doing it." Well, That's yeah. The- I mean, one of the one of the beginning things you do is just turn on an SSH server and watch the logins, and within a few seconds, you'll start getting the brute force attacks. So. But yeah, but that, but you, you don't know if that's just regular cyber criminals. You don't know if that's security researchers. You don't know if it's me. I mean, it's likely me. Well, um. <laughs> well, see, I don't know who it is. One thing I've noticed is they use really screwy passwords that are not totally in what I would think of the top 10. But anyway, all right. Yeah, well, that's why I think the, right, the interesting part here is that they openly blame the Russian military instead of using some euphemism or saying they can't attribute it. So I think it reflects uh, the Biden administration's in much more hostile attitude towards Russia. Whereas, you know, if it, the Trump administration would certainly not have blamed Russia for this. Anyway, and Urban's got uh, those Netgear vulnerabilities from Microsoft. 
Yeah, which Microsoft... I heard some people tried to say that Microsoft did this to try to divert the press away from their vulnerability, but perhaps that's overly cynical. That might be cynical, but that the uh, from my personal experience with uh, Netgear, I am not surprised that there's another vulnerability. Yeah, uh, I've actually been in the market for a, a new device to replace the Netgear in my house because I don't like it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, yeah, seeing seeing another vulnerability for it, I'm not surprised. Is it diverting from what a, another vol? Maybe, um, but to me, it's it's just another thing, another reason why I get off a of Netgear. Yep, and so it, it, they had a couple of volumes, so you can actually get like remote uh, code execution, right? Yes. Yeah, this happens at a lot of those small routers, I mean. So you really have to keep your eye on them, most mm -hmm. of the ones you're using. And uh, I saw they're actually doing something about those storage devices we talked about in the last podcast. Uh, that company that, they're, that really, somebody will wipe out all the data on your storage device, they will now actually help you get it back. So that's something. Yep. Is did Netgear patch this yet? I don't think they have. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the problem. I mean, people make stuff and sell it, and they don't realize it's sort of like having a child. You've got these endless expenses of taking care of it after you think the transaction is over. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. And Sajiv has got the Colonial Pipeline. Go ahead. Yes. So uh, we seen uh, some time ago in like May, there has been like this kind of uh, outage uh, on Colonial Pipeline. Well, unfortunately, they had a ransomware attack from this group called Darkside. So, and they were kind of like in this like rush because uh, they're they're like like the largest uh, oil company uh, stretching from Houston to New York. So basically, uh, their computers got hacked and. They couldn't unlock it, so how are they supposed to send information where the gas would be, would go? So, unfortunately, all the gas stations in the South uh, just stopped working, and then it just kind of spread all all over the United States. So it was kind of bad. So um, later, it was discovered that they paid like a five million ransom to Darkside, and then they were going to begin operations later. But unfortunately, uh, people in the other states, like Michigan. Uh, and even in Washington, they were kind of like not so sure about how this will work. So like even the CEO of like uh, the uh, American Petroleum Institute, they were kind of like thinking like, should we like shut the shut the pipeline in Michigan uh, for uh, consumers in both Michigan and Canada? Uh, so and yeah, it was kind of a messy situation. So. Well, yeah, I mean, we and uh, it hit big news at the time. It's actually worth uh, bringing this up again because I think this is a huge step forward like 9-11. This is when America really suffered a major cyber attack that really hurt us, probably comparable to Stuxnet on Iran. And uh, it might be that we'll actually start doing something more to protect ourselves. There was some talk of uh, forming a congressional committee or something at this time. So, right, that kind of relates to like what happened in 2012 with Saudi Aramco. They were they suffered like yeah. the world's largest oil uh, cyber attack from Iran. So, yeah, that's why I think for years they've talked about cyber being uh, a top priority uh, for national security, and we're still trying to figure out how to address it. But uh, mm -hmm. certainly, I think increasing number of people are thinking the military gets to have, needs to get involved to protect us from this kind of attack. It's not right to just expect every private company to try to mount their own defenses. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And Alan's got the Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle. And it's the 2021 Packed Cybersecurity Bundle. 
which is 24 different books for the grand price of $18. I'm not shilling this. I'm not trying to push anyone to buy this, but it looks like a pretty good selection of cybersecurity related books. Um, Pact was formerly, in my opinion, not a very good publisher of technical books, mm -hmm. but I think they've improved a lot over the past few years. And I know they've published some of your work, Sam, and they also just recently published Dan Borges, our recent guest's they did, uh, yeah. book. So that is definitely a couple of things to recommend them. And looking at this selection of books, most of them I've never seen before. But I know that they do have at least one good one, uh, Practical Mobile Forensics, which is uh, co-authored by a SANS uh, forensics instructor. So, uh, and I've, I've seen that book before. I've looked at it before and it seems to be a, a good one there. So something to check out, something to consider. Yeah, yeah, they, it's, you can't beat the price. I'm, this yeah. reminds me, I think it's really not worth writing a book. There's no money in it. I mean, <laughs> yes, within a couple maybe not of years, for the author, no. Within a couple of years, you're in the cutout bin like this. They're selling your book for like less than $1. Yeah, right. And this this particular group, most of the money goes to charity anyway. So, I mean, the authors probably get one penny. But anyway, it's, that's why I remember. Well, actually, yeah. you know, Humble Bundle used to allow the uh, user to donate all the purchase to charity, but they just stopped doing that. And in fact, they made it more difficult for the purchaser to uh, adjust the, uh, the distribution of the funds. Well, you can still give like 70% to charity. So yes. the, end, the end result is... There's not much money in it. And I noticed, no. by the way, they have Learn Kali Linux 2019, which is, <laughs> yeah. I think what they're doing here, that's the problem with technical books. After like two years, they're out of date and worthless. Right. Yeah. And they've got books in here that were published in 2017. Well, that's why they're selling them so cheap. This used to be yeah. the same thing with rock music. You'd sell your record in a couple of years, it'd be in the cutout bin for like $1. Right. Where I got all mine. Anyway. All right. So such is life. All right, and then I've got, so Facebook is trying to do something or they're trying to appear to have done something, probably much more about extremism because they push everyone into a far right-wing craziness, which I think everybody who's on the Democrat side in America is sort of horrified as more of your friends sort of get sucked into this insane cult and you lose family members and friends because all they'll do is talk about how uh, crazy stuff, uh, how Hugo Chavez hacked the election or some crazy and vaccine is going to kill you and stuff like that. And so Facebook wants to not be responsible for this or at least not be held responsible. So now it'll pop up a box saying, your friend might be becoming an extremist. You should intervene. I'm like, you think I'm going to do something? Or you just viewed extremist content. It might be poisoning you. You should go drink a glass of milk or something. Anyway, so anyway, I, I have I'm uh, dubious this will do any good, but it might be something Facebook can wave in front of like uh, angry congressional committee saying, we tried to stop people from becoming extremists. See, we popped up an alert before sending this exciting page of anti-vax propaganda covered with ads. So anyway, um, I think Facebook was worried that some of, that they were actually gonna face antitrust action and it looks like they won't. But anyway, um, it is, uh, part of a huge problem. These social networks push people into extreme content to get more clicks, and that makes people crazy as a side effect. It looks like nothing's going to be done about it anytime soon. Anyway, so then Caitlin has got all oh, the print nightwear, the big one. Yes, this is the big one. We see the best working. I tried to get it working and I couldn't get it working. Did you? I have not even tried. Uh, yesterday, I spent the entire day looking over uh, uh, TPMs, <laughs> um, which by the way, yes, I will. Today, I'm writing some stuff up for you, Sam. Great. 
Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, printer nightmare. So what happened? <laughs> okay, so the a bleeping computer has this article. Uh, oh gosh, I will screw up this name so badly. Looks like Ionet uh, Lasku, um, which, okay. Um, I, I'm sorry, I messed up your name. Anyway, so uh, yeah, there's this bug, uh, print nightmare. It's another print spooling bug. So Windows keeps having these bugs in Windows. In, in, yeah, so Microsoft has these bugs in Windows regarding printing for some reason. I don't know why this is. Every so often there's some printing bug that allows uh, privilege escalation. And this one's pretty bad. Um, and so, yeah, you can get system through the print spooler again. <laughs> and, uh, but what's really interesting about this is that it was discovered by a security firm and they were really responsible and they decided not to release it right away. And then it was patched Tuesday and, and Microsoft said they patched some printing stuff and, or something. And so they finally released it and said, hey, let's look at what we found. This is, this is the thing. But it turned out that Microsoft didn't actually patch it. So now there's all this zero day code running around. Everyone has access to it. They got picked up by another uh, Chinese researcher who can now exploit it as well. And yeah, if you get access to a Windows server, you can just run this code and apparently get system access. Yeah, you can escalate from a meter domain user account, but then you yeah. escalate to system control the domain controller, or so they say, although I've been unsuccessful in my attempts to run this, but people say it works if you get the right POC and run it correctly, which I apparently have not succeeded in doing. Yeah. And uh, so they say you need to stop the print spooler on all your Windows servers until further notice, although Microsoft finally admitted this is real and assigned new number today. So maybe they'll have another patch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's exactly what, what you're supposed to do. If, if you have a, if, a, if you are running a Microsoft server, I don't know why you would, but if you are, you would want to disable the principaler. Well, there are reasons to run a Microsoft server. I know, I'm kidding. There's, I know, I know. The, the vast majority of servers, have, well, I don't know if that's right, but, but corporate servers, for, on-prem on servers are almost always going to be Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, you do it for Active Directory and group policy and all that good stuff, which Linux totally doesn't provide. Anyway, yeah, so another Microsoft disaster. And if you get that working, that'll be like, I think the new MSO867, that'll be the, the go-to for take every CTF or you take over any Windows machine. Yep. There will be a Metasploit module for it soon, I'm sure. So. That, then, uh, then, even, then even lame people like me might be able to make it work. That would be nice. Anyway, um, all right, let's see. That was uh, now we're down to Intuit with Urban. Yes, uh, they are going to share their data, their payroll data with Equifax. The same Equifax who had that wonderful breach that exposed so much information way back in the day. Now, it's this isn't necessarily a new thing because companies legal? do share Don't payroll data with like ADP and ADP shares it with uh, somebody already. What? I mean, did we agree to that when we signed up for Intuit? I don't remember agreeing to that. There's Well, there's going to be a change in the terms of service. They'll get anybody who's running QuickBooks will get that pop-up saying, hey, um, in order to continue do, using this, uh, you're... Auto, you will automatically be part of this um, this work number service powered by Equifax. Hmm. And what is the benefit to the customer? Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of them actually have like a boilerplate statement. We may share your data with business partners, which I guess would cover this. Yeah, let's see. Looking at their terms of service thing, 
Uh, your employees may need to verify their income and employment info when applying for things like loans, credit, public aid. Uh, they'll be automated. Okay. Those things will now be automated through Equifax at no additional charge. Yeah, this makes a lot of people worry about their credit history, and this seems like more of that. Anyway. Just a bit. All right. And then, uh, all right. And Sajeev has got the Fastly outage. I remember this one. Yeah, so on June 8th, uh, there was this uh, Fastly outage. Um, yeah, so it's kind of bad because a lot of people were using Zoom at that time. And uh, as we probably already know, Zoom is a client for Fastly. So yeah, basically the there was a disruption that ha that uh, caused the servers to like malfunction, and then they just closed down their network for like fifty minutes, approximately. So yeah, it was kind of hectic. Uh, basically, what kind of happened? There was like this. Uh, they introduced their, this new software, right? But however, a customer it pushed a weird valid configuration change that included like some specific like parameters that the that triggered like that kind of bug in the program and then uh like 85 percent of the network just started returning like extreme errors so yeah it was not that fun <laughs> and uh yeah so unfortunately zoom was also kind of like in that reach of being affected too oh, but zoom luckily stop working when fastly is down uh yes uh, some server uh, some zoom servers were kind of like okay but uh majority was kind of like eh, so mm. yeah basically um their servers kind of like went down a bit but like ultimately like 50 50 minutes later a lot of uh, services began to uh, uh like reorganize itself and then uh like a few hours later they finally fixed the bug so yeah, you know, I noticed some. Um, this is a pretty uh, miserable uh, explanation. I've, 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 the only thing I really like about Cloudflare is when Cloudflare makes a mistake, they really explain exactly what happened and exactly how they fixed it. And this is better than nothing. Like one other common response is to just lie and pretend it didn't happen or blame it on outside attack. So but anyway, they don't really give you much detail here. Anyway, yeah, still. Actually. It's nice that at least they come clean and admit it was their own mistake and don't try to pretend it was outside or something. Right. So I give them like a C plus on their <laughs> uh, on their incident response uh, notification here. Yeah. Anyway. All right. And let's see. Then we've got oh the, I'm the last one. Okay, but the tiny nuclear reactors. I thought this is awesome. So they're making nuclear batteries. So this is the new hot thing. Instead of trying to make a gigantic nuclear plant, which it turns out will take like 10 or 15 years to clear all the regulatory hurdles and everything. They now want to make nuclear batteries, which are little plants that fit inside a standard shipping container or in a little tiny cute A-frame house designed by artists to be like appealing as it sits on the hill glowing with radioactive fire. And the idea is you will have little ones of these everywhere to run like just one college campus or one neighborhood or something instead of giant nuclear plants. And they're hoping these can be generated really fast and the idea is you'd make it like in a factory, you make all the nuclear stuff, including the fuel, you'd ship it someplace. And when they're done like a battery, you just ship it back for renewal. So it doesn't emit any waste and you don't have to service it or anything. And you don't have to have any staff like Homer Simpson on premise to see if it's blowing up. Um, so this might work. I mean, this is, um, everybody's talking about nuclear now. When I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, people were afraid of nuclear for environmental damage. But I think, especially now considering 
the heat wave, people are beginning to think what really matters is global warming and a little bit of nuclear waste is not really what we're worried about. So getting rid of all the fossil fuel and going to nuclear is becoming a more appealing option now. And this may be the way that we do it. Well, it, it seems like it may be a stopover gap, like the same way the, the compact fluorescent light bulbs for those like, you know, that midway point between where we are now with the LEDs and the old incandescents. Like we knew we had to get rid of the incandescents yeah. and the CFLs kind of sucked, but they're the only thing we had at the time until we got something better. So, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that may be, I mean, of course it'd be better if we used all renewable, I suppose, but it'll take us a while to get there. Although the renewables are coming up. I was surprised when that power outage in Texas occurred and they said like 20% of the Texas grid is already running on renewables. So yeah, I think, but we certainly need to knock off the fossil fuels really fast. This environmental consequences are really getting out of hand. All right, communist. All right, comrade. Yeah. <laughs> one thing at a time, Sam. Yeah, anyway. All right, well, that's it for this one. And we'll be back on Tuesday. Have a good weekend, folks.